0: 516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network.
1: I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I say that a lot, don't I? So, But I do mean it. Cheap bacon, bacon's about to be everywhere again, bacon's having its moment. It's always been popular, but now driven by reduced cost, innovative concoctions, the paleo rich, um, paleo rich diet, and a worldly younger generation willing to try anything once, and if they like it, they'll try it twice. Last year there was a piglet killing virus which shrank the US hog herds, sending future prices up to all time highs, Um, and farmers scrambled to capture those profits. Weird how that works. You would expect the virus is bad, but no, virus is good because we slaughter them, and then <clears throat> next year it'll be bad because we don't have full-grown hogs. Um, other stories of note: President Obama has a new Twitter handle at POTUS at President of the United States POTUS. For those of you who keep hearing that word POTUS and don't know what it means, that's what it means. Disneyland's going to prepare for a crush of visitors during the 60th anniversary celebration. Back in the 50th anniversary. Attendance increased about 8.5%. I think you've got to find a way to figure out how to own shares of of Disney. Walmart profit and sales missed expectations on a stronger dollar. Home Depot sales and earnings beat expectations on the continued recovery in the U.S. housing market. Apple's not going to be making an Apple television anytime soon. They just couldn't figure out enough breakthrough features uh, for a price that made sense. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP, Chad Bertinari, Mr. Burton? Excellent. So one of the things you talk about on your show, New Focus on Wealth, you talk a lot about, you know, will you have enough money to retire? And there's a lot of articles on it. Um, a lot of people try to, like, self-educate themselves on, I'm ready to retire. I've hit the magic number. That seems to be a million dollars is starting to become the norm in the Wall Street Journal of that'll pay you forty to 50000 a year. I guess it depends on your budget, but it also depends on income in retirement. Um, how do you set up that million dollars to pay you income in retirement?
2: Well, so those rules of thumb of 4 to 5% income at age 65 and you'll be okay. And each and every year you'll be able to increase your amount of withdrawals okay. to keep up with inflation. Um, typically, those are assumptions that your overall portfolio earns 7% for a balanced portfolio. Okay. Where the last 10 years, balance portfolios have earned about 6.5%, you know, half stocks, half bonds. Because going forward, though, the next five or six years until rates normalize, what are rates going to be? I mean, we got 2.7% on the 10-year treasury. It was over 5% prior to 2007. So even though portfolios have recovered yep. from 2007, if your portfolio hasn't recovered from 2007, you're doing something wrong, first of all. You, you didn't have enough cash while you are retired and drawn, or you panicked at the bottom. Markets will recover. They will. You just have to be able to have some cash and dividends to live off of in the meantime. But the issue is is that if you retired in, in 2007 versus now, that same 65-year-old needs 24% more assets today to retire at the same level as the person that was, was able to lock in 10-, 15-, 20-year bonds in 2007. Because interest rates are a third of where they were then. So if 40% of a portfolio tends to be in safer stuff in retirement on average, 60-40 yeah. type of a split – that 40% not only is paying a third of the income, your CDs are only paying less than 1% instead of four or five. Uh, so the next five years is key. And unfortunately, the biggest issue is that timing is everything in retirement. So if your poor returns come first while you're drawing money out yeah. and you have less compounding in your overall portfolio, long story short, Rob, is it? A, it's a really tough situation where having to look at bond alternatives and different ways to get that that bond-like income Stock portfolio hasn't changed. You know what's interesting about what you said? People locked into 20
1: and 30-year bonds? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think that's your world. I think you see high-end clients or well-funded people. I know Most of the people I know in retirement, they're afraid to lock in for 10, 20 years. They're more, I have to keep this available short-term for
2: opportunities, and I can't lock it in for 20, 30 years because I'll be dead in 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm.
0: Does that make any sense what I said?
2: Yeah, and and not necessarily 20, 30 years. I I doubt a lot of people... You know, locked in bonds, because even in 2007, people thought rates would go higher. Okay. Um, So, but, uh, you know, there's there's a world of when individual bonds look better versus bond funds. When interest rates are high and stable, you can ladder bond portfolios, and if there's inflation, you buy tips. Those are treasury inflation-protected bonds. It's weird, because, Chad, it's been a long
1: time since we've seen that scenario, that people feel comfortable locking in bonds. They're just, they pay nothing now.
2: Right, and in, but we at least now we have you know a couple decades of interesting interest rate movements. Sure, and that idea of the between four and a half and six and a half percent on the ten-year treasury—that's when you really consider locking in on longer-term bond portfolios. But you have to be able to hedge. You have to have some of your money in your portfolio that are available for tips, sometimes commodities. A lot of studies are showing that yeah, you don't really need that commodity fund. You really need more of the tip exposure. And again, those are bonds that pay well, a lower rate of interest.
1: Yeah, what's interesting? Two thousand eight when. All stocks were down. Guess what was up? Commodities. Uh,
2: no. Gold yeah. and – yeah. because what yeah. happened – I did what, research on this yesterday. What yeah. happened was, is the first part of that, a lot yeah. of the hedge funds had to sell their gold and oil positions in order to, to meet liquidation. So there was actually – a lot of stuff that fell off to get – managed futures is you a different my, way. You to have your history. I have mine. All right. Let's pull it up right now. Ready? Let's, let's have a chart fight. Actually, I
1: wanted to change the topic and um, – it does seem weird. Like, we've been, it's been a long time since we've been in a laddered bond, laddered CDs. Do you remember, like, we can't talk about that, and we used to talk about that 10 years ago. Yep. So, um, I did pull up Apple yesterday, their bonds, their 10-year bonds, 3.4%, 3.5%. Yeah. So, would you, as a betting man, would you go after an Apple bond versus a 10-year treasury, or do you still like the security of the U.S. government?
2: I mean, I don't like. I mean, I wouldn't lock it in unless you had some sort of a hedging strategy on that. I mean, you can get almost the same yield in the stock right now. Okay, that's true. And that's the biggest issues that people are making. I heard a morning show host early, early morning talking about their income portfolio, and my fear is that a lot of older people are saying, "Oh, this is an income portfolio. I'm going to take my bond money and I'm going to go get that." And then the stock market drops or interest rates rise, and they have a ten to twenty percent correction instead of a okay, I've my income's still coming in and I've got a cushion for the stock market. So keep your bonds, your bonds, your stocks, your stocks. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com.
1: Home Depot sales and earnings beat expectations. uh, Continue recovering the housing market. And Home Depot should be pretty well positioned. With rates low, they're still low. They should be moving higher this time next year. Maybe a little bit sooner. um, As far as mortgage rates go. Um... But you got the baby boomers. You've got the Millennials moving out of the house now. The Millennials moving out and the baby clock is ticking and uh, We should have some more households. The housing numbers look great today. Now again, that feels a little bubbly, but that's okay. Um, Short term, it should be nice. Elsewhere out there, Skechers. They're striding into second place for the US sports footwear market. Casual footwear brand gives athletic shoe companies a run for their money. Skechers accounted for about 5% of the sports footwear market for the quarter ended in March, moving past Adidas. That's kind of crazy. I wouldn't have thought that. Um, And as well past Asics and New Balance. Nike and its proprietary Jordan brand account for, get this, 62% of athletic shoes sold in the United States. But Skechers is on the rise. Why? There's a growing preference for cheaper shoes, they may actually never use for running. And it's a threat that you know, the trend poses to some established athletic brands, cheaper. Some people want cheaper. They don't want $110 for a running shoe. A lot of technology goes in that running shoe. But if you want to look athletic and not be athletic, maybe go with the nice-looking Skechers. If you want to be athletic, Nike still dominates that. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. black talking money investing and more as always i have to say thank you for listening to the show um i feel i've got a pretty dedicated audience that's uh, supported me for up to almost 20 years now um i've changed i've tried to always improve i've tried to listen to you and your feedback some of it i hate some of it i embed um you know my goal is to try to make you a better investor and if not you maybe your children Uh, There's a company out there that makes a really violent video game, Take-Two Interactive. And I bring it up because this might be the way to show your five-year-old, not not your five-year-old, excuse me, your 15-year-old how cool it is to invest. Five years ago, this was a $10 stock. Now it's a $27 stock. Take-Two, to the best of my knowledge, hasn't had a lot of hits other than Grand Theft Auto that's worthy of note in my opinion um that they're not I'm going to say a one hit wonder but a lot of what they do um has come from some of that sensational PR a couple years ago many years ago you know I think it was Hillary Clinton when she was vice president I could be wrong um she you know she's like video games are too violent and that's not good for American kids um so she brought it up. She brought up and she named this game. And I said, she just did this company the biggest favor in the world. She just told teenagers what they should be paying attention to. So Grand Theft Auto 4 or 3, one of them, I don't know, had a, a thing in it where, you know, in video games if you get shot at and you get wounded, you have to go find a med kit. They had a thing where you can go find a prostitute and come out stronger and healthier. Uh, um kind of crazy, right? You're like, whoa, that is kind of shocking. But Take-Two Interactive just reported higher revenue in the fiscal fourth quarter. It came in shy of Wall Street's expectations. The video game publisher felt a pinch from delaying Grand Theft Auto V for personal computers. But per share earnings trounced Wall Street's expectations. Uh, So you can show your 15-year-old kid how in five years you can double your money, more than double your money. Get a copy of the annual report. Read it. So our kids are failing to secure their future because parenting is failing to take some bold initiatives. Doesn't mean you have to buy it. Doesn't mean you have to support it. But, you know, if you've got a teenage daughter or a daughter who sings Frozen in her school play, buy some shares of Disney, get the annual report, show it to her. Uh, empower these people with what is their hobbies, is my opinion. Medtronic said today that it expects its April quarter to come in at the top end of its previous guidance. Medtronic makes pacemakers and stents and valves and things like that that go into your body. Um, We're living longer. We need more of those devices. They're not going to go out of business. Eh, They can get sued. Eh, They can get acquired. But they're a big boy and they tend to acquire small companies when they see any sort of traction or as a friend of mine refers to it as gription. Any sort of gription in a company's product. US FDA administration, the Food and Drug Administration, has granted priority review to Johnson & Johnson's new drug application for its schizophrenia treatment, which the company says is the longest dosing interval available for patients with the condition. Good, because we're living longer, and as we live longer, our brain goes crazy. Um, But schizophrenia is also, you know, a disease that afflicts many people, young and old. Indo-International. Agreed to buy a rival drug maker, Par Pharmaceutical, yesterday. Latest in a string of cross border mergers, steering tax revenue away from the United States despite Washington's efforts. See, that's how messed up our tax system is. Companies would be more than willing to pay profits in the United States, but not at 35%. JA Solar Holdings said Monday that its first quarter profit more than halved as cell shipments plunged and shipments in China and Americas declined. Duke Energy said that it plans to retire an Asheville coal-fired power plant and invest $750 million in building new natural gas plants, cleaner burning fuel. It's nice to see. Berkshire Hathaway, which is owned by Warren Buffett, steward by Warren Buffett, owned by the public, reduce its stake in several media companies, including Charter Communications, Viacom, and Liberty Global. You could do far worse than copying what Warren Buffett does. So those are some of the top stories of the day. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty 516 1220 to get your calls on the air. Google Ventures is throwing some money into an agricultural startup. One of the areas that I'm, I'm not going to say confident in, but I guess I'm confident in it, is that when there is a problem, uh, as Americans, we tend to figure out how we can make money from that problem. So the agricultural startup um, its kind of got, you know, this pretty crazy idea of using data to help farmers. I know you're saying, crazy, it'll never work, who wants that? But uh, I like the idea for sure. So um, we have that going on. Goldman Sachs says the market's going to go nowhere for the rest of the year. Some of their top stock picks include Ford, Coca-Cola, Pfizer, Lockheed Martin, and Verizon. Now, I just told you that Warren Buffett's cutting his exposure on Verizon. What gives? Article in the Wall Street Journal last night talking about Apple deciding to ice plans for a television set. Basically a year ago, Apple explored releasing a TV, but could with breakthrough features at a price that made sense. Gene Munster has been beating the drum about an Apple TV, and I've been hoping for one, but uh, with no insight, he stood on stage at conferences and told people in the audience not to buy a new TV because Apple was going to have their own in 2012. Apple was exploring the idea, but ultimately, they decided to scrap it. There will be some sort of TV service, a streaming service that comes out this fall, which Comcast has to be hating, just thinking about it, um, I understand that. Disneyland expects a very crowded, very crowded sixtieth anniversary. They've put some sparkling new veneers on Sleeping Beauty's Castle. They've got a pulsating nighttime parade. Upgraded fireworks show. They've been testing several crowd management tactics to make sure that the throngs of attending um, don't become too bottlenecked. So Disneyland's gonna launch a new parade. Woo! Some diehard fans say the crush of visitors expected summer won't dissuade them but they should be at capacity and or being able to sell more and more things. Um, Like fast passes and and ability to get to the rides that you want to get to. Google Ventures dipping its toe in that emerging agricultural sector, getting back to that story. They're investing in a computerized farming network that crushes data on seeds and soil and helps farmers grow more crops and save money. Um, One of the biggest problems coming down the road for the world is how many people are in the world. And feeding them is going to become very, very problematic. 50 years from now, when there's 9 billion people on the planet, what are we going to do for food? Our current system's already starting to struggle egregiously. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing in more. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Strategist for Briefing.com, joins us now. Mr. O'Hare, how are you?
3: Hey, good morning, Rob. I'm doing well. Thanks. Yourself?
1: I'm okay. I'm getting through the year. You know, getting amazed at how fast time moves as you get older. Uh, Looking, you know, we're five-twelfths done with the year, almost halfway. Uh, What's our report card so far, Mr. O'Hare?
3: Uh, well I'd say that the uh the report card I'd probably categorize it as about a a a B, you know, it's not uh not stellar, it's not terrible. Um the fact that we're um, you know, up for the year um is uh is is pretty decent all things considered really and especially when you take into account that you know we're coming off of three consecutive years of double digit gains and you're seeing earnings growth decelerate and yet this market continues to find a bid. Uh, there's just no real move to uh, correct things, or there hasn't been anyway. I'm not saying that there can't be or won't be. It's just that we're still not seeing it, um, and that I think is making a lot of uh, uh, investors who continue to sit on the sidelines, you know, perhaps a little nervous about missing out on another leg higher. So, um, and especially with the breakout here due to new record highs, uh, I suspect that that uh, that nagging feeling is starting to increase again, and. Um, might prompt some people to come in off the sidelines and arguably maybe not at the best time. But uh, that's something that could drive the market a little bit higher here over the near term anyway.
1: Goldman Sachs has come out with a recent, not not survey, but just market research, saying they expect the stock market to grow 5% annualized over the next 10 years. Now, There's a lot that goes into that. But they're basically saying things are going to be a little bit more blah uh, because we've just come off, well, I'm not going to say why because because I don't know all their reasons.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But does that sound reasonable to you that you know we're going to go beneath historical trends?
3: Well, um, you know, it does. Uh, it does sound reasonable. I mean, when you take into account, like, say, you look back at you know the the big bull market of you know that began in the early 1980s uh, and culminated with the um, you know the popping of the uh, dot com bubble. Uh, you look at the starting point then, where interest real interest rates were. Um, You look at the starting point then of where baby boomers were, right? So you had real interest rates at at sharply higher levels, and you had baby boomers at younger ages that were entering their prime spending years um, and earning years. Um, Now the flip is, is true. So you have... You know, real rates that are uh, remarkably low, and you have baby boomers that are now older uh, that are looking say, um, save more or certainly are not spending as as willingly as much as they used to. Um, and in turn, um, you saw back in the start of the early 80s, a real embrace of, you know, the credit-based economy and the ex- expansion of credit cards and, uh, and all in and spending on credit. And now what we have is a consumer that seems to be more uh, showing a greater propensity, uh, to to actually save money and to delever and and not use so much credit. So, um, and, you know, and you can throw on top of that, obviously, the issues that we're going to run into with the entitlement programs, and so to have a very conservative sounding you know longer term outlook is is not unreasonable in light of all those factors. But I think to your most important point, though, Rob, uh, you know, no one knows what the future holds for sure. These are just things that seem to be lining up for us. Um, stranger things have happened you know we could do better than than average we might do worse than the goldman forecast uh... It's hard to say but i think it's a reasonable case uh, that they're making um, and especially now when you take into account that we're at a starting point of higher pe multiples it does suggest that uh, future returns are not going to be as great as we've been accustomed to seeing lately
1: I'm speaking with Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Strategist with Briefing.com. It's a website I start my day with every day. Your article is the very first read for me, Um, your page one article. Recently, we've talked, not you and I, but the media has been making a lot out of this being a stock picker's market, whereas indexes could take us nowhere. Do you think it might be wise for investors to break away from the index thought and maybe go towards more managed mutual funds, i.e. the stock picker?
3: I you know would have to obviously depend on one's risk tolerance. I do think that you're entering an environment where um more active management will be uh useful um because you know if you're looking for you know excess return um you're not likely to get it on the uh the passive side um you know I don't anticipate. Uh, the SP p 500 index increasing to any great degree when you take into account, you know, the pace of earnings growth that's being forecasted right now, looking at almost no earnings growth for calendar 2015. Um, and then when you also take into account, like I said, the, the starting point right now for uh, PE multiples. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, so it probably would be you know um, a worthwhile exercise anyway to start looking at more active um, actively managed accounts versus those those passive funds
1: the housing numbers that came out this morning surged um, showed up a little pent up demand in housing starts and building and permits uh, is that testament to we should have a strong second half of the year because if we 're building houses, we've got jobs and we've got paint that we have to put on them and Home Depot benefits and banks start doing more banking. The housing starts... Forecasting a pickup, or am I reading too much into it?
3: Yeah. Well, it certainly it was a very big number, um, and of course, you know, you, you you do have to take into account that um, you know the prior months, past few months, anyway. I saw some depressed housing starts numbers that, uh, and I think what what we was revealed in the April number here was essentially that you know there was a weather impact in, on the housing sector, <clears throat> certainly in terms of construction um, that took place within you know January and February. Um, But those were, you know, this this number, the level of starts we're at now is the highest since November 2007. It would be nice to see a continuation of that uh, strong housing start activity. Um, So it's an encouraging number. Um, I think, um, you know, our economist Jeff Rosen uh, categorized it as such and um, said there were a number of encouraging firsts in this report, you know, namely that, you know, you saw the you know, the strongest increase since November 2007, and um, and I think it would translate ultimately into more jobs, um, more consumer spending activity, perhaps. So um, let's wait and see what the May report brings. See if we can, you know, sustain these these sharply increased levels, or if that May report perhaps shows that. It was just simply um, kind of a a payback period from the the nasty winter weather that uh, detracted from housing starts.
1: I work in television as well as radio, and the television anchor that I talk to every morning, he's got a big problem with Carl Icahn coming out and saying Apple should go to 240 Not that it's the Apple angle. He just doesn't like the activists coming out and plugging their own positions on CNBC. What's your whole opinion of what we're seeing in the world of activism as well as financial television?
3: well they're you know i 'd say they have as right as much to anybody as to uh, coming out and making their case. Um, the, the issue is whether uh, other investors and the media and uh, people like me either can see that see through it and maybe perhaps say that they 're really just talking their book. Um, you know the letter he wrote to Tim Cook laid out a very defensible position as to why they see Apple worth two hundred and forty dollars per share. Um, wasn't entirely unreasonable in terms of the argument that <clears throat> excuse me that they were making um but you know personally i don't i don't have a problem with activist uh investors um you know i think that uh as long as you know their motives are are, are good versus being selfish and just trying to drive up their own um, economic interests uh which i suppose some do in fact do that but I think the market as a whole, though, is smart enough to see through those types of um, maneuvers and, and can recognize when an activist manager really is uh, being a proponent for all shareholders and not just their own interests.
1: Anything else that you're working on that you think we should be aware of that kind of gives a little hint into where we're, what you're thinking
3: yeah well i have been keeping a close eye on this financial sector uh, lately it's done uh, it started out the year obviously very poorly, which was a surprise to many given what the uh, backdrop is for the economic outlook entering the year and and what we've seen the financial sector start to turn higher here in, in in recent weeks and and outperforming the market. I think that's an encouraging sign and the reason i'm watching it closely though is is that the financial se- should be outperforming if Uh, there's a strong belief, I think, in this idea that the economy is going to gain momentum and earnings growth is going to pick up in the back half of the year. So if we start to see the financial sector go back to a period of underperformance, uh, that would raise some questions as to whether the market truly does believe that, uh, that pickup scenario.
1: With the market's recently hitting record highs, I think there's one thing that could take us higher, and there's a lot of things that could take us lower, but the cash on the balance sheets of corporate America, they seem flush with it, and earnings haven't, uh, some earnings have been pretty flat, but some earnings have been surprisingly strong. Cash on balance sheets, is that something you factor in, or is that something you're like, "Nah, the tax rate's an issue, or how do you view cash?
3: Yeah, well, you know, it is huge because it shows that, uh, I, think, I think, you know, some of the frustration we're seeing some of these sideline investors is they don't get why the market keeps going up when earnings growth is decelerating, when economic data continues to disappoint. Um, and I would argue that part of that is the fact that companies are continually buying back their shares. Um, you know, it seems like every company that comes out and reports these days is announcing some increased share buyback authorization. That doesn't mean they have to carry those out, but um, but the data is showing that uh, they certainly are still uh, willingly carrying out share buyback activity at these higher levels. and. You know, maybe that's not such a good thing uh, we'll see down the road, uh, but it's been a main, so a major source of support, we Thanks. think, for the equity market here.
1: That's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Strategist Briefing.com, an online trusted resource for both international as well as domestic markets, economy, strategy, trends, technicals, and much, much more. we Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. One of the interesting questions I get is, I can't save enough living in the Bay Area. It's too expensive. I say you have to leave. You have to make saving a priority, otherwise retirement's going to look really, really ugly. At best, maybe in a trailer. Um, and I don't want that option. So where would I be (coughs) considering to run away to right now? I like cities like Denver, Charlotte, Memphis, Austin, Portland, Oklahoma City. I'm not moving to Oklahoma City. (laughs) They don't have teeth there. But that's where I would go if I was young. It's not the jobs. It's not the tech. It's not the foreign investors. Portland, Oregon is really intriguing right now because the housing is benefiting from a few things its neighbors don't have water into home buying millennials portland's on the west coast they got water unlike california and seattle the relatively low home prices in portland combined with still low mortgage rates make the area quite affordable for young buyers add water things stay hot you're lucky if you can be one of the first 15 offers in 24 hours. That's how hard it is for buyers to get a house right now. The sales numbers are staggering. Signed contracts in April were up 28% versus a year ago. Despite a 9% jump in new listings in April from a year ago, Portland has an anemic 1.8-month supply of homes for sale compared with a normal market being about six months. Brisk sales and tight supply usually combine to push hot prices higher. The median home in Portland, up 5.5% from a year ago, $290,000. The supply issue would suggest the price gains be bigger, but Portland is a sticky market. It's very pocketed. Portland homeowners tend to be, like to renovate older homes with character, not new construction. They stick to certain neighborhoods. Prices in some areas are therefore up more dramatically than the median numbers imply. The only thing lacking in Portland right now is more listings. So, if I had an 18-year-old son, 22-year-old son who just finished college, I'd say consider go to Portland. Again, the other cities that I also mentioned. Google has a team of 100 people working on a project so secretive, most of them can reveal only their first names.
3: Google has
1: an, ex- they've got an extremely secretive unit working to combat advertising fraud. Many people within Google don't even know the team exists, but at age, was given the first look at what the team is about 100 people are working on. Internet advertising bureau predicts online ad fraud could cost brands as much as $10.1 billion in wasted spending each year. For Google, the world's biggest seller of online advertising, that's a huge problem. Imagine if I have a website that I post illegal, if I post the last episode of Mad Men on, and it's up for a couple months before it gets caught or found. The advertising that I could, you know, auto place in there, Ooh. Google requires trust that ads being bought through it are actually reaching a human audience, not an army of botnets created by criminal enterprises. So, Google's got a problem. Facebook's trying to make everything inside Facebook and less outside in the internet world. Google dominates the internet world, but Facebook dominates the app world, in my humble opinion. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Take a look at the markets. We started higher. We went lower. Eh, some markets are a little higher. Some markets are a little lower. You can't get caught up in that, in my opinion. Home construction surges at the fastest pace um, since 2007. That's good and bad. It means more homes will be built and more homes will be on the market this time next year. Let's say a home takes a year to make, roughly, you know, kind of throw that out there. Permits are being filed. You know, permits mean six months from now we're going to be building homes, and both those numbers are really strong, construction as well as permits. So we should have a healthy economy of construction workers, unless you start seeing some of the projects dropped or not finished. In a worst case scenario, that rarely happens, but it, it can. Um, so more supply probably means bad things if you own a home, because like I said, it's all about the inventory. Uh, days how long how many days does it take to sell the property investors are cutting u s equity exposure to the lowest level since January two thousand eight international investors particularly are slashing their exposure to u s equities valuations are very very high right now um, so we could you know like Goldman Sachs go five percent higher in the next five ten years on an average basis that's not bad throw in the dividends you will be happy but Certainly, we don't see a catalyst of of value at this point in time where like, whoo, six years ago, the market was a value. It's up 220% since then. That's a pretty good run. Um, (laughs) But the valuation ultimately may cause stocks to move sideways to slightly down. That's the thought. Seventy percent of respondents on a global survey, they expect global growth to strengthen the rise in oil has pushed inflation expectations to a ten month high. Oil's actually having a good year after having a horrible calendar uh is oil's actually having a good calendar year after having a horrible you know, last fifty-two weeks. Um, there's not a lot of demand for safe haven cash. Demand for safe haven cash slipped to four and a half percent down from four point six percent. Cash levels are a contrarian buy signal and below three and a half percent triggers a sell signal. People are pretty confident they have their money working and that's typically a bad thing, not a good thing. I'm Rob Black talking to All Things Financial. Thanks for listening to the show. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Don't be shy, drop me an email Rob at Rob com. It's Rob at Rob com. Take care. Have a good day.